Worried about your home's furnace or AC? Not anymore. Legacy Heating and Air wants to make it easy for you to stay comfortable year-round. Right now, when you buy a new heating and cooling system from Legacy, we'll give you the complete package worry-free. Get a free smart thermostat, a free duct cleaning, flexible financing, and free maintenance for up to 12 years. This deal won't last long. Call your Legacy Pro today or schedule online at LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the weekly Notre Dame football show that's rolling into late January as we anticipate some freezing rain in South Bend. We're nice and cozy and warm and talking Notre Dame football with you tonight, and we're going to be very heavy into the recruiting part of this. So Tyler is going to be talking way more than me tonight, and I'm going to be nodding my head. <laughs> my name is Eric Hansen. If you haven't guessed, the guy with Tyler James under his face is Tyler James, and this is Football Never Sleeps. <laughs> so <laughs> we have um, your questions coming up. We'll work them into the conversation, especially if they're recruiting-related. And if they're not, we'll still try to work them into tonight's show. And we would also like you to like and subscribe and do a lot of other things that Tyler's better at describing. So take it away, Tyler. Yeah, make sure you are subscribed to our channel here on YouTube that will allow you to see all of our content, like the video we had on Saturday from the recruits arriving for Junior Day, which included some recruiting staffers dressed up as leprechauns, um, searching some cars, and and generally just bringing some energy with some music playing. It was it was an interesting show there. I'm certainly warmer now than I was on Saturday out in the cold with my hand free to have it on the on the camera. But uh, both uh, myself and Charleston Bowles were out there, and we got some good footage and photos that um, hopefully you've seen by now. Um, if you make sure you hit the bell for reminders that you will know um, when we'll be live on Football Never Sleeps. We're trying to stick to our Monday schedule, but during the off season we like to move it around. Um, to accommodate any sort of schedule changes that um, we may need to make. Um, if you are new to the Football Never Sleeps and YouTube process, um, we want you to submit questions to us. Uh, and you can do that by clicking through to YouTube, either uh, in, on an app, on a mobile device, or on a desktop through the site. Um, you do not want to be trying to communicate through us to us through an embedded version of this, whether it's on InsideIndieSports.com, on social media, or on our message board, because you just won't be able to click through to get to the chat unless you unless you go to YouTube itself. Um, the chat box should be on the right-hand side if you're on a desktop version of some sort, um, and it should be below our talking heads if you are on a mobile device. Um, lastly, before I pitch it back to Eric to uh, start our discussion about the latest in Notre Dame football recruiting, we encourage you to subscribe to InsideIndieSports.com if you haven't already. This is a good time of year to be a subscriber with so much recruiting coverage just behind our paywall. First-time subscribers can take advantage of our 30-day free trial to the site. You can use promo code NDYT when you sign up to get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Inside Lounge where we spend a lot of our time, and that's where we'll post information we, we hear about recruits first. Um, so that's a, a good place to be this time of year when there's not a lot of actual football to talk about, but there's plenty of recruiting to talk about. Um, there is a link to take advantage of that deal in the video description below. <laughs> I see we're getting uh, weather um, updates from elsewhere that are better than ours. Thank you for that update, <laughs> Scott. Okay, so we're taking stock of Notre Dame after its Junior Day recruiting event this past weekend. The Irish started spring semester classes and winter workouts last week, then hosted some of the nation's top 2025 prospects, along with most of their committed recruits in a class ranked number one. And at the moment, there's also a 2026 quarterback in that group. And our opening drive is just kind of resetting that for you a little bit. And then we're going to get in some particulars about junior day. Notre Dame's 2025 class, again, ranked number one ahead of LSU number two, has 14 commitments. Um, the junior days have changed a lot in recent years. It used to be kind of a cattle call of mostly Midwest prospects sloshing through the snow to get to South Bend, most not having offers, and it was kind of an attempt to forge early relationships and, and momentum and, and 
kind of see those recruits in person. Now it's very focused. 10 2025 targets, a 2026 QB target, two 2025 prospects who arrived without an offer, and then also 11 of the 14 commits showed up to help recruit. So why do you think this change in approach was necessary and and how effective do you think this is making this a more intimate event for recruits? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of changes in recruiting have happened in the in the past several years due to sort of how the recruiting cycles have sped up and the calendar has changed with the uh, ability to take official visits at the end of your junior year. Um, so really right now, this this window here, and then when we get into spring practice time um, in March and April, those are those are the last two windows that you can take an unofficial visit where you can't take an official visit. You can obviously take an unofficial visit later on, um, but guys will have options to take official visits. So um, it's, it can be difficult to get kids on campus for unofficial visits, especially this time of year with the weather that can be impacting many parts of the country and um, was impacting uh, some parts of this area um, this past weekend. But Notre Dame did a good job of getting all those guys in here. Um, I think it's been successful in this sort of format for Notre Dame because Freeman has been big on building relationships within the class itself. Um, so that's why you see 11 commitments on campus um, because he wants those guys to be hanging out with each other as much as possible. And then also they can be hanging out um, with the current team, with the coaching staff, and then also the, the other guys that they're trying to recruit. So forming bonds and relationships among those recruits, which Marcus Freeman pointed at the end of the 2024 recruiting cycle on early signing in the early signing period that, Hey, that's why we were able to do such a good job. We didn't have anyone decommit during their senior seasons. Once it became senior season, the guys that were committed to us stayed committed to us. And um, that is something that they hope can sort of withstand maybe some coaching changes here or there, because guys are always going to come and go on the coaching staff. Um, but they, they, they're trying to find guys that are buying into what Notre Dame can do for them. Um, and also the guys that they're going to be able to do that alongside. Um, so it worked pretty well in the 2024 class, and um, they're trying to replicate that here in the 2025 class. This is really this time of year, especially given the calendar, this is a chance where you can maybe close on some recruitments that you did well early on in the cycle um, that you have a good start with. Like you have had guys that have visited multiple times, and then you can start to pick up some ground with, with newer recruits that maybe you haven't been recruiting as long or haven't had a chance to get to campus. Um, so I think that was a mix of what we saw this past weekend. So did Notre Dame get any commitments or are they closing in any on any commitments in your opinion from this weekend? Um, they did not get any commitments. Uh, my understanding is that no one silently committed um, that doesn't mean that They're telepathically Dame, committed. Uh, yeah, they, they all do, uh, did it in secrecy of even everyone else. Um, but I think that there's plenty of reason for Notre Dame to feel good about some of the guys that were on campus. Um, I already had two future casts in for two of the visitors. That's wide receiver Jerome Bettis Jr. Um, and offensive tackle Owen Strebig. Uh, I still feel good about those uh, predictions. I don't plan on changing them. Um, but I also don't know that those guys are going to necessarily decide, commit or decide here in the next month or so. It, it could still be a while for those guys. Um, I'm considering making a few more uh, future casts, which is something I hinted at in detailed over on the Insider Lounge for our subscribers on Sunday. Um, and if you're not a subscriber to the site, um, I, had, I, I shared some thoughts on all of the targets who visited on campus where I think Notre Dame stands with them based on conversations we've had um, with folks around Notre Dame um, and around these recruits. Um, so I think uh, you should have a pretty good sense of that if you are a subscriber. But the three guys that I think um, I'm considering potentially making future cast fours in the near future are offensive tackle Jack Lang out of Missouri um, and a pair of cornerbacks, Dallas Golden and Mark Zachary. Dallas Golden out of Tampa, Florida, and Mark Zachary out of Indianapolis. Um, both four-star rivals, 250 guys. Um, Jack Lang is as well. Um, Golden and Zachary actually are, if you remember, Eric, when we, I think it was Marie Biafore who asked us on our podcast last week to, to pick three must-gets going into the weekend. And those were two of the guys that I listed um, as, as must-gets 
uh, on the podcast because they're talented cornerbacks that I, I think are very highly interested in Notre Dame. Um, and those are the kind of guys that I think Mike Mickens um, can and, and should be able to start getting routinely to Notre Dame. And I think they would be worth getting excited about um, for Notre Dame's coaching staff and, and Notre Dame fans um, and because there's, there's some big-time programs that are coming after those guys as well. Um, so we'll see if Notre Dame can end up getting their commitments, but I think Notre Dame's in a very good spot with those guys moving forward um, and, and, and decent spots with some of the other guys, but I think those are the three that um, they're best in position for other than the guys that I always already felt that they were um, essentially the leaders for. I'm not going to mention the name, but I'll just have it be said. If we're going to talk about predictions, I threw out a name and you talked me way out of it. And you said, I don't think they have any shot at this guy. And now it sounds like they do. <laughs> um, so I'm just saying. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him later. Okay. All right. So um, the weather was still pretty brutal here. It's going to get warmer. We, we, we've warmed up enough that the forecast tonight is for freezing rain. <laughs> and then <laughs> we will eventually get to... There's regular, still school closures. But. <laughs> yeah. We'll eventually upgrade to regular rain and melting snow. Uh, so, I mean, South Bend in the winter when it's like 32 degrees can be pretty cool if you're from the South. But it snows. It's not brutally cold. That wasn't the case this week. It was really cold. And yet the recruits pretty much came away universally impressed with what went on. They didn't seem to mind the cold. So what's the secret sauce there? What is Notre Dame doing right on these visit weekends that's eliciting this kind of response where these recruits are really enjoying their time? And and in some ways, sometimes it's even been a game changer. Yeah, I think you have people on Notre Dame's coaching staff and recruiting staff that they understand the strengths and weaknesses of this program. Um, snow and a cold day um, aren't going to make for the best times to do like long campus tours, right? You don't want to be outside in the cold very long. Um, so there's different things like you, your, your January junior day isn't going to look the same as your summer official visit or your grill and chill event, your grill and chill event or your, um, uh, game day visit in the fall. Um, it's going to be different. The highlight of this visit um, isn't going to be you sightseeing on campus, the grotto or touchdown Jesus. Um, they'll still try to hit some of those spots like the Basilica. Um, but I think the people, the academics and football are prioritized during the, especially these winter months here. Um, keep the kids indoors as much as you can. You can get them out there to do some things. I think, uh, some of the guys go out and sort of play in the snow a little bit for their pictures, but obviously they're going to get right back inside. So it's a little bit different than uh, standing out there for a few hours and walking around campus and um, needing to bundle up uh, with, with some of the guys that don't necessarily always have the right equipment, but they can help help those guys out with getting them uh, jackets and coats and hats, which um, Charleston Bulls needed a hat on, on Saturday. We'll, we'll work on, on, on his hat game uh, for this winter weather. Uh, but yeah, I think there's, they, they also plan like activities for these guys to do. They're playing video games with each other. They're playing dodgeball. Um, the coaching staff and the recruiting staff are engaging with the recruits rather than just sort of hurting them around. I think that's an important part of it. There's serious discussions that are being had as well about football development and the academic value of Notre Dame. They, they carve out time for these guys to meet one-on-one -on -one with Marcus Freeman um, and uh, their position coaches as well. Uh, so I, I just think they Notre Dame seems to – have things in a in a very good position um, with what it knows about what works for recruiting kids to Notre Dame, and then that can be tweaked per recruit. Like one recruit might be into um, the uniforms, one recruit might be really into the academics. I think um, they try to tailor it as much as they can based on the knowledge they have uh, about the individual recruits. Well, I saw one recruit doing snow angels, and I just want to say for the record, the only way that I would have done snow angel on that record or that weather is if I accidentally slipped and I pretended that I did it on purpose <laughs> yeah. and then made a snow angel. So yeah. 
so overall, what what's the most significant developments you think that came out of this weekend? Before we get to questions, and we're going to jump into some of those. Yeah, um, getting Nathaniel Usubotang on campus, which I think is who you were re- referring to earlier. The snow um, angel. Um, making a snow angel. I thought it was just like going into the visit, I thought it was just a win to get him here. Um, and like before he got to Notre Dame for this first visit, I thought I always thought hey, it was more of a pipe dream. I know even we, Charleston went down to see um, Mark Zachary and Ben Davis in Indianapolis play against IMG Academy and, and spent some time. Ben Davis to- being the high school for those that aren't around, not a kid. Yeah, yeah, you saw Mark Zachary playing for Ben Davis, uh, and Ben Davis isn't a coach either. It is the name of a high school. Um, Playing against IMG Academy, um, and in addition to talking to Mark Zachary, the cornerback target who I referenced earlier that Notre Dame's in good position with, uh, Charleston spent some time talking to Nathaniel. Um, And I think even some people either on the beach or around Notre Dame were like, yeah, you probably don't need to waste too much of your time talking to Nathaniel because – there hasn't been a lot of positive momentum for Notre Dame. He mentions mentions Notre Dame, but there hasn't been a lot of action to, to go with it. But um, the action came this past weekend. He got to campus with his aunt. Um, I would still probably say it's closer to a long shot um, than like Notre Dame is his leader. Uh, but there's a real foundation to build from now and, and moving forward. Um, I think Notre Dame has resonated with him. The conversations he had, he he specifically mentioned the highlight of the visit was talking to Marcus Freeman and and the way Marcus Freeman talked to him about the importance of Notre Dame. Um, he did connect with his half brother Jeremiah Wusu Koromo. I don't know that I've mentioned to date that there is a re- a relationship there. Um, they they share a father. They're half brothers. They share a father, and uh, so he's he, uh, Nathaniel told me that he uh, FaceTimed Jeremiah um, while he was. Uh, doing the photo shoot with his number six jersey on, um, number six being the jersey number that uh, Jeremiah wore um, at Notre Dame. So a, a cool moment there, um, and Notre Dame's going to keep fighting there. Like now, now it has reason to like, okay, let's keep pushing forward. We think we can, we can get in this fight. Um, I think there's going to be plenty of competition for him. He's the number one outside linebacker in the 2025 class according to the rivals rankings. I believe it's number 20 overall in the class. So we're talking about a guy that has the potential to be a five-star and and Notre Dame just signed a five-star recruit in the 2024 class with Kingston Viliamuasa. So maybe another five-star with a hyphenated last name can, can end up coming to Notre Dame as well. So I don't, I don't want people to get too far ahead of themselves. Like don't, don't uh, think he's a shoe in to come to Notre Dame, but Notre Dame has really made some progress here and folks around Notre Dame think they have a legitimate chance at him now um, after the way the visit went this past weekend. Just, Again, before we get to questions, just to follow up, is he from Virginia? I mean, he's from the Newport News area and went down to IMG. Yes, that's correct. In Virginia, I, I didn't nail him down. I just asked him. I said, "Hey, where do you live when you're not at IMG?" And he said, "Virginia." I didn't. I didn't ask him to get it. I didn't get a street address, um, but or even his, his city. I think Manassas is where he was at some point um, in Virginia, um, but I don't know exactly where um, he lives during his non-IMG times, but. Um, I do know that he plans to, I, I should mention he, it's going to be a long recruitment. He doesn't really plan on making a decision necessarily before the early signing period. Now maybe obviously neither did his brother. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, I don't will know there be a staged phone call, a staged phone call with Marcus Freeman. Uh, if there was, I would imagine it would look cooler. Um, if that were to happen, but, um, I don't, I don't know if that'll be in the works, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of time left in that recruitment, but Notre Dame, um, was really, really had some positive takeaways from from the way that visit went this past weekend. Right, and not to get too far ahead of things, but he is, I, I would think that you would think that he projects as somebody with similar traits to Jeremiah in that it's a guy you don't have to take off the field on third down, and that was a huge advantage um, to Notre Dame's 2020 team in that, they could play nickel with Jeremiah Wusu Cormo on the field. And yeah, so they were never caught with the wrong personnel. So let's go to some of the questions that are recruiting related here. All right, cool. I will check them out. Um, Jeffrey Stevens said uh, for junior day, Notre Dame hosted Jack Lane, Jack Lang and has made him an offensive line priority. How did he move up the list so quickly? And is it warranted? Um, Well, Jack Lang, 
was offered by Notre Dame, I think, in November, and he visited in October. So Notre Dame got to see him in person in the fall, um, and things have really started to progress since then. Um, his father is a Notre Dame fan, <laughs> grew up a Notre Dame fan, so that works in Notre Dame's favor. But he's genuinely a talented recruiter. I, I don't know. I don't have the the his profile in front of me, but he, uh, I think he's probably around one of the top twenty offensive tackles in the country um, on the rivals uh, service rankings. Um, and Notre Dame likes him a lot. He's he's a big kid. Um, he moves well. Um, he's an impressive looking athlete. Um, and so Owen Strebig has been the guy that Notre Dame's been on for a long time as a potential potential offensive tackle in this class, but Jack Lang um, has sort of surged um, there. Obviously, Notre Dame already has a commitment from Will Black. Um, I think tackle um, has become of a bit of priority in this class with some interior guys in recent classes um, coming in at, at, at the high-end level. Now, certainly you have guys like Gerby Lambert in the previous class um, who you think can be an offensive tackle um in the in the long run and maybe styles prescott can be as well um but you got some other guards in there so i think tackle is going to be a priority and then Notre Dame has some other options beyond just jack lang um and and owen strebig um maddie augustine um was on campus this past weekend as well as an offensive tackle prospect that Notre Dame likes quite a bit as well so jack lang yeah i think Notre Dame has has really done a good job of making him feel prioritized like you mentioned um, and I think uh, we'll see. He, he will certainly be a name to monitor moving forward, as I mentioned earlier, that I thought that I'm considering putting in a, a Rivals future cast form. Yeah, he's number 164 overall. He's from Eureka, Missouri, and sometimes when I'm chatting with Tom Lemming, who's not affiliated with Rivals, but gets around the country and sees all these people this is he's one a, of the he's affiliated with us he's a long time affiliation yes, with us <laughs> yes he puts up with us and, and we put up with him and it's a wonderful uh association but tom and i were talking the other day and that was one of the names that he came up with without prompting of players that notre dame was zeroing in on that he's super impressed with so he thinks that 164 national rating is a little bit low and that he thinks he'll come up. He's got some pretty good offers. I think Michigan, Tennessee, Washington are some of them. A lot of the Midwest uh, schools beyond that that aren't, you know, the elite offensive lines. But uh, I would imagine he's going to add to that if he doesn't commit here fairly soon. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think Missouri is worth mentioning too. I know that's not a yeah. school we're, we're used to thinking about, um, but yeah. Missouri has a really good season. Um, and he's from Missouri, so I think Missouri is going to really try to push hard for him as well. Okay, the next question, or do we? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank Sarah asked, What is your best guess on how many commitments Notre Dame will get in the next three weeks? Um, well, I'll let I, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I, I don't know that anyone has silently committed to Notre Dame. Um, so in the next three weeks, I would be guessing like I, I maybe they'll get one. I, I don't know that in the next three weeks there's any sort of guarantee that one of those guys will commit to Notre Dame. Um, but it could it could change. Like any of those guys that I feel good about, if they want to go ahead and end their recruitment, um, that's certainly within their right. Um, but there was no one that, to my knowledge, was like, okay, I'm done with this. Let me go home and um, schedule a recruit like a commitment announcement. So. Um, I, I, I get a I would, graphic ready. I would, yeah, I would say one. Uh, yeah, that is something that we do on our end. I haven't gotten a graphic ready for, for any of those guys quite yet, but, uh, um, we'll, we'll see, uh, um, if that changes here in the coming weeks. I think the only thing for me that might press somebody is if they're filling up at a certain position and they don't want to get closed out and they're some guys that are kind of even Steven in terms of the last person they'll take at that position group. And I don't even know what that would be, but when you have 14 already, you're, you're closing down at some position groups eventually. So, right. Yeah. The defensive line class is pretty big. And so I think there's picking and choosing that'll probably be happening there moving forward. Um, they only have one offensive line commit so far, but there's a, they're in good position with a lot of them. So maybe if one of them or two of them decide to make a decision, then, then someone's, needs to feel like they they need to jump on board too so um but i don't 
I don't get the sense that anyone's like, I need to decide now. Um, right. And, and that I, there's 14 already is incredible given there's right. not anybody else in double digits, right? Tyler nine is the most anybody has. You know, I don't know that I haven't looked lately. That's probably right. I, I, I trust when you I was look, scanning it today. That's what I saw. That's that that's that's probably right. Uh, Notre Dame is is really out with a, a pretty fast pace here, and is has been trying to strike while the iron's hot, um, and and has had a lot of success doing that. All right, let's see. Um, Jeffrey Stevens asked another recruiting question with the one change at ND coaching at wide receiver. How has the 25, 2025 recruiting board priority changed from Stucky to Brown, and how much is driven by Denbrock? Um, so I, I don't know that it's changed a lot. I mean, we've seen some new offers go out. That's the, I guess that would be the most significant way it's changed. And that is it has expanded some Notre Dame is still waiting to start getting commitments at the wide receiver position in the 2025 class. I um, even though we, we feel really good about where Notre Dame stands with Jerome Bettis jr. Um, and some other guys like Derek Meadows out of Las Vegas. Um, I think Notre Dame should have room to take, maybe up to five receivers. I, I haven't talked to anyone about Notre Dame about numbers. It's so early when you don't have any yet. Like it, it, what's why worry about numbers, just get a couple in first and then we can figure it out. But because Notre Dame lost some freshman receivers to the transfer portal, you would think you would think that those numbers could be allocated to this recruiting class. Now, obviously you don't want to get too many because then you're just going to have the same sort of cycle of guys transferring out because you can't play all of them at the same time. Um, although you can rotate receivers. So, um, I think Notre Dame is in a position to be aggressive in terms of the number of receivers it takes in this class. Um, some of the guys that are new targets, Sean Terry, who visited this past weekend without an offer, received an offer on his visit. Excuse me, Elijah Burris, who is the son of Plaxico Burris, um, the former Michigan State and NFL wide receiver. Um, his son visited this past week and after receiving an offer from Notre Dame earlier this month. Um, and uh, I think and we've seen a few other offers go out at the wide receiver position. So um, they're going to continue to emphasize guys with size and speed. Um, I don't know that that's a significant change. Um, and uh, we'll see like what guys Mike Brown really strikes a chord with. Everything that we've heard um, is that Talon Taylor, a very highly ranked recruit out of wide receiver out of the Chicago suburbs, um, has a relationship with Mike Brown spanning back to when he was at Cincinnati um, and was being recruited by Mike Brown at Wisconsin. Um, and it's now being recruited by Mike Brown at, at Notre Dame. And he made his way to, to campus sort of a bit last minute. Uh, he lined up plans to get a ride to Notre Dame on Friday uh, for a visit on Saturday. Uh, so I think we'll and, see. Okay. Some, and that ahead. is not the 90 minute walk in the park or 90 minute walk in the park. You think it is in this weather, tell them how much snow they got in the County that, separates one of the counties that separates Chicago from South Bend. Yeah, I think there were places in LaPorte County, which is actually where my hometown, where my family lives, uh, is uh, I think they got 30 some inches in certain places. And that was in like a 48 hour window. Um, it was pretty crazy. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, if I was if I were giving advice, I would have told people to like just dip south a bit and then and then go around. because I don't think this lake effect. And that was lake effect snow. And if you don't know about lake yeah. effect snow, um, it can just dump and dump and, and gets really heavy. Um, uh, sometimes based on the the weather patterns, I couldn't describe it all to you, but I know I know what it looks like uh, from growing up in Laporte, uh, which tends to get hit worse than most. Um, th this it's very localized. It could be, for example, South Bend in the same time, and we're thirty minutes east got about three or four inches. Right. The band moved over us and then it moved back over a little port. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you could you could have be driving dry, 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 and then all of a sudden two and a half feet of snow. Yeah, I think I think I think Talon, I heard him and his buddies that he made the visit with were talking to one of the recruiting staffers and I think he said it took them about two hours to get here. Like they had, to, had to certainly slow down in some areas. Um, and I think he was the last to arrive, but um, that was uh good that he made it here safely um, because it could be, be a bit treacherous on, on some of those highways getting, getting from Chicago to, to Notre Dame during this time of year. Okay. Do we have any more questions for now or um, do we want to move on? 
I, I didn't mention like how much is that driven by Denbrock. I imagine he, he certainly can play a role as well. I think um, there may be some guys that he knows of or has some connections to that he'll want to prioritize. I, I haven't gotten a sense of how much he is guiding what he wants Mike Brown to prioritize at, at wide receiver um, or not. But I think um, Notre Dame has had at least a good starting point and it seems like a lot of those guys that were interested in Notre Dame when Chancey Stuckey was the wide receivers coach continue to be um, in uh, interested in Notre Dame with with Mike Brown as the wide receivers coach. Yeah, and I think the nice thing I've seen a lot of Denbrock pictures showing up when Notre Dame coaches are going out on the road and talking to guys. He can talk about, hey, we had the number one offense in the country at LSU. Here's my vision for Notre Dame, and I think that's helpful. Speaking yeah, of absolutely. coaches, he's, going, he's been doing a lot of uh, traveling with uh, Marcus Freeman. Like I think pretty much most of the, his visits have been alongside Marcus Freeman. So to, to have those two guys in the room, I think is a pretty pretty good thing for recruits that are getting getting around some Notre Dame coaches. I think he's left the house shopping up to Diane, his wife. So <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not home enough. Yeah, pick that one. That one sounds good. <laughs> so the coaches are back out on the road this week. Yep, They were out on the road last week. So what's the point of them going out? What are they accomplishing by being out on the road this week? Yeah, getting out and seeing commits and targets. And that, this is something they'll be doing this week, next week. Um, I think well, then I think that runs out February 3rd is the end of the contact. But yeah, so this week and next week. Um and it's it, the recruiting calendar has changed in one very, I think, important way. These visits in the past, when you made a school visit, you were only allowed to actually talk at length to the kids that are seniors in high school. Um, and right now, like, there's not a lot of value to that for Notre Dame because it has its senior class already signed. Most of those guys are even already enrolled at Notre Dame. Um but the recruiting calendar changed this cycle where now during this contact period, you can actually have contact with the the, the juniors. Um, so Notre Dame is getting out um, and being able to talk to these commits and targets in the 2025 class when they get to their schools. It's not just them being around and their presence being noted and doing some sort of reconnaissance by talking to the coaching staff and other people in the building um, or watching them perform at different athletic events or workouts. Um, they can actually have discussions and do more than just shake hands. Um, I think sometimes that rule gets broken and uh, or was getting broken by schools across the country. Um, but now this, this feels way more realistic and um, more meaningful uh, that the coaches can do this, especially when they're spending so much time traveling that they can actually say more than hello to the, to the recruits that they're, excuse me, there to check out. So yeah, um, in addition to that, you get some eyes on some of the younger recruits. There's 2026, 2027 recruits that Notre Dame will be able to check out and see in person that maybe they haven't prioritized to this point, but the cycle moves forward and you start taking some more time to to double back on, on some of these kids that are um, emerging as freshmen and sophomores in high school. Okay. Um, let's see. We will go to what's next in recruiting. What's the next thing? I guess we have uh, official visits in the spring. We have the pot of gold day with that'll be 2026 recruits, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, I think the there's a number of 2026 recruits that pretty much know they have an offer, but it haven't been formally offered. They, they sort of like try to reserve it for the pot of gold day. Um, and that happens on uh, St. Patrick's Day. So we'll have that in March. Um, like I mentioned, the contact period goes through February 3rd. Um, so Notre Dame's coaching staff will be out on the road these next couple of weeks. Um, and then there's a one day quiet period, which just means um, that they can't go out on the road for that day, but kids can visit Notre Dame if they so choose. I'm not expecting a lot of visitors coming to Notre Dame's campus, but if there's um, some guys that want to get here um, and they, Notre Dame can make it work out, they'll, they'll try to do that, particularly on the weekends because the coaching staff is out on the road during the week. Um, and then it becomes a dead period through February into early March. Um, and then it's just back into a quiet period, which allows kids to start getting back on campus for spring practice visits in March and April. Um, and then once we get into April, then the official visits can start. Um, and then that mid-April to late May is when the coaches could get back out on the road and do some more um, recruiting and evaluating with, with the contact period as well. So lots of 
ins and outs of recruiting to come um, and lots of work to be done and plenty of important traveling and conversations to be had uh, with, with recruits that Notre Dame is very interested in. One last question for me in recruiting. So Kevin Humes, we had talked about on a few of the shows. Yeah. We have reported in the Insider Lounge and maybe elsewhere that Notre Dame is not no longer interested in him and he's going to pick somebody else on signing day. What, and my question is this, the interest in a couple of these 2025s, Mark Zachary, Dallas Golden, if I didn't butcher his first name there. No, you got it. Um, do you think because they are honing in on those two guys in 2025 and Humes was originally in that class, that maybe that's why they lost interest? Um, yeah, I think I think there's something to that. I think um, it was always gonna be it was always gonna be strange to like get it to work out in such a small period that he was a junior and now all of a sudden he's a senior um, and everything that comes with that academically and making sure that you get into Notre Dame and that you're on track and have everything lined up. Um, so I think Notre Dame was much more comfortable with pursuing the 2025 cornerback targets um, than trying to. Uh, figure out how to make how to make this work um, with Kevin Humes when uh, and it seems like I know he had official visits p- lined up throughout the month. I'm not sure that all of them are happening. I think there was a one to Penn State that he was scheduled for that I don't think happened this past weekend. So I think it's I'm not sure it what what sort of favors he did himself in the sort of timing of this all coming down for him. So I mean I'll be interested to see where he ends up. I think Syracuse is a place that he maybe made an official visit in Syracuse is um, somewhat unexpectedly become a hot recruiting um, destination and transfer portal destination with its new head coach hire of Fran Brown um, and the connections he had as, as an assistant coach at Georgia. Okay. We are going to move into current business, which is winter workouts. Can I get, did, did I, uh, can I talk about Kingston Villiamuasa real quick? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I, Mentioned it earlier when I was talking about Nathaniel Usubotang, but Kingston Viliamuasa today rivals released its final update for the 2024 class um, as it relates to five stars. Um, the rest of the rankings will be released um, throughout the week when it comes to the rivals 250 on Tuesday, and then the offensive and defensive position rankings will be released on Wednesday and Thursday, respectively. Um, so Kingston remained a five-star, not surprising based on all the information that we'd received from the rival staff. The rival staff has been very high on him. Um, he was 22 previously. He moved up three more spots. Um, and the last ranking came out in early December, um, so about a month and a half. The big event being the All-American Bowl that he participated in, the practices leading up to that. He was impressive in that. So Notre Dame, rivals moved him up a little bit. Um, that makes him the first five-star freshman to enroll at Notre Dame per the rivals ratings um, since uh, Blake Fisher in the 2021 class um, and his overall ranking of 19 is the highest for any Notre Dame signee um, since a couple of guys in the 2013 class, uh, Jalen Smith, who was number three overall um, and running back Greg Bryant was also number 19 overall in that class. So um, it's been a while since Notre Dame's gotten a recruit ranked as highly um, as Kingston Villiamo Asa um, uh did so uh not surprising um but certainly encouraging and uh a sort of a a little bit of a sign that Notre Dame can sort of compete for some of those guys at the top end level I think I did the math uh there's 31 five-star recruits 30 of them are either committed or signed and they went to 18 different schools so for Notre Dame to be one of those 18 schools um is a positive development and hopefully for Notre Dame, they can continue to get up there and get some of those five-star recruits moving forward. So Rivals has been doing this five-star thing since and everything else that they do since 2002 cycle. And there have only been six players with a higher ranking than 19th that ended up at Notre Dame. And I bet you couldn't name all six of them. And if you could, I will run a stake over to your house right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I know Jalen Smith is obviously one. Um, Gunnar Keel. Okay. Uh, that, that is, is that not yes? right. That no. is not right. Okay. Um, Michael Floyd. Uh, Michael Floyd was 27. Gunnar Keel was 20. 
Damn. So, oh, I was close. All right. Well, I'm running out of options already. Spill, spill the beans. Greg Olson, who didn't end up staying at oh, Notre okay. Dame. He transferred when his brother transferred out to Miami. Sam Young, who's been on our podcast. Yep. Jimmy Clausen, who was the oh, number yep. one player sure. in 07. Manti Tao in 2009. Oh. Yeah, yeah, This is the one that will get everybody every time. Eshaq Williams in 2011. And then Jalen Smith. All That's right, it. yeah. If I would have spent more time, I, I definitely would have got Jimmy um, and Manti. Those are those are those are obvious ones that I should have been able to think of. But I hadn't even considered even looking into that. I'm glad you looked that up. I probably should have included that in my story today. But I just looked at the last one, not not how many in in rivals history had been that high. So that's good information. You know, and it's funny about Jalen Smith too, because I don't know that the Notre Dame fan base was as jazzed about him. I think they were happy he was in the class at the time, but ah, he's from Indiana. How good could he be? But man, he was incredible. I mean, the pre-knee surgery Jalen Smith, it's just too bad Brian Van Gorder was his defensive <laughs> coordinator for a couple of years. When I asked Brian Kelly, I used to do these 20 questions with him every year, and some of them were real silly questions, and some of them were kind of serious. Like I asked him if he had ever used the uh, – phrase dream kitchen uh, and he had said no but I said who's the player that you kind of wish you had to do it all over again and you would use differently and he said Jalen Smith yeah he just felt like they didn't get enough out of him so yeah he was, anyways he was never, he never used as a pass rusher enough in my opinion um, he had and, zero uh, sacks in his career yeah. I think and and I remember talking to the late Vaughn McClure about this when he wasn't the late Vaughn McClure and he was covering NFL football for the Atlanta Falcons for ESPN. And he knew that the Falcons had some interest in him. And this is after the surgery and so forth. Still, he was getting interest to varying degrees. And he said, why didn't he have any sacks? I go, you should have seen who the defensive coordinator was at the time. And it'll explain a lot of things, but yeah, that was unfortunate, but wow. What a, Great guy and what a great player. So, so Notre Dame started their winter workouts last week, and Lauren Lando. We've been using the alternate pronunciation of Landau, <laughs> but it's Lando uh, has been on campus. We are going to get a chance to interview him late next week, and so we'll have um, a lot more in terms of his philosophy, and we'll be able to pepper him with some questions. But Tyler, I wondered, what are you most eager to learn about Lauren besides the correct pronunciation of his last name that you don't already know? Yeah, do we get clarity on Lauren? Maybe it's Lauren or <laughs> um, Lauren, like Lauren, yeah. Lauren. Yeah, 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 Ralph Lauren. Um, I, I, a lot of things, right? I mean, we haven't had a chance to talk to him, and he hasn't done this before, right? He hasn't been a strength and conditioning coordinator at a college level. So that's different. Um, what is he prioritizing? What did he see? And, and this is probably some of these things. I'm sure he's probably continually learning. Um, what, did, what did he see within Notre Dame strength program that needed to be changed? What did he want to emphasize? What's different about his approach? How does, how does he resonate with players? Um, so a lot of those kinds of things. One, like probably inconsequential, question was like what's what's happening with his gym back in denver how is that is that still being run will you spend any time doing that that's more of a curiosity than a, like an important part of how things will be operating here in south bend but um i know he ran a he had it was running a performance center and i'm sure that he has plenty of capable staff out there but i'd be curious like what his involvement with that would be moving forward like would he still be trying to train guys preparing for the nfl combine would it um, and would Notre Dame allow that? I don't. I don't know because there could be some sort of cachet to that too. If uh, you have NFL guys coming to Notre Dame to do that, or um, he's spending time out in Denver doing that with guys, I think that would be some, somewhat interesting as well. What, what are you? What are? What's on your list? I know that's someone you want to spend a lot of time talking to when we get to talk to him. I do, and again, I had the um, privilege to spend part of a day with Matt Bayless. I actually spent it with Brian Kelly, but we spent a lot of our time with Matt Bayless or Bayless was around us 
when we did this, and this was when Bayless first got to Notre Dame, and just the culture setting that he did, he had a board where you'd have your names and everybody could see it. And and if you were starving, that meant you were really a warrior in the weight room. And then there was satisfied was the, there was a middle category, but satisfied was the one you didn't want to get in. And there were quite a few on that particular day that were in the satisfied. Now he was just starting out, but I was like, Ooh, and then he would order them within these <laughs> categories. So if you were at the bottom of the satisfied, you were the guy that, you know, and this was to foster accountability with your teammates and so forth. There was just so much that Matt Bayless did that was outside of lift, run, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. And the mental part of it, I'm curious his approach to that. And, and if he approaches dealing with, college kids differently for example charlie weiss didn't make that adjustment at least not initially and he treated guys like you know young pros like rookies and early in their nfl career which worked for him walking mm-hmm. in the door because he inherited a veteran team but then the roster turned over and that's why we had the three and nine of 2007 there wasn't that development going on so those are some of the things that i'm curious about uh, as we get ready to get to know him a little bit. Um, and then what do you think tops besides the recruiting? What do you think Marcus is working on? I mean, is it really so recruiting focused that they're not working on the playbook? Or do you think while they're in the plane with Mike, they're talking about offensive philosophies, Mike Denbrock and what he wants in the playbook and how they're going to run the quarterback competition and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there's some some of those conversations that are happening. I think recruiting is probably top of the list. I think making sure he's aware of how things are going with with the strength and conditioning program, I think, are important too, right? With the new new thing being installed there, making sure that Mike Denbrock is getting acclimated. Obviously, that's a little bit easier <laughs> considering he doesn't need directions necessarily uh, around town, um, but. Uh, getting him involved with the rest of the coaches and, and making sure they have a clear plan plan for how they want to attack spring football um, and what sort of um, philosophies they have. I think there probably isn't a lot of surprises there, but to make sure that everyone's on the same page, working with the same terminology, um, it helps to have that continuity on staff, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so They kind of have it some on the offensive side with Mike Brown and Gino Gadouli haven't worked with Mike Denbrock. Right, yeah. So you do have some guys that are familiar with each other, um, and that that should make things a little bit easier. Um, so I think those are the, probably the top things. I don't know I, if there's – obviously there's any sort of like handshaking and appearance making that Marcus Freeman needs to be doing. Um, I don't know a lot of that ha- – that a lot of that is happening think, now because of the recruiting. I think most of that period. happens in May. Um, but uh, – if there's people that are that are around that he needs to, if there's any sort of discussions he need to he needs to have with Notre Dame's collective, um, I think those would be wise uh, discussions to have. Um, He's going to have a new boss on March 25th. In accordance with those rules, yeah, and making sure certainly um, Pete Vavaca won't be a stranger when he comes in because he's already been around campus for quite some time now, um, getting ready to take over for Jack Swarbrick. So. Um, is there anything I'm missing on, on Marcus Freeman's to-do list? Other than saying hi to his six kids. <laughs> yeah, making sure they're staying out of trouble. Yeah, so, okay. Um, do, you want, do you have any more questions before we launch into the next segment? Yeah, well, let's, let's hit some of these other questions. Uh, one more recruiting question from Beetlejuice. So who's next to pop in y'all's opinion? Dallas Golden, Mark Zachary, Owen Strebig, one of the receivers. Do you want to go first since I've been talking so much recruiting, Eric? Do you want me to take the lead again? I'll I'll go ahead. It seems like Jerome Bettis has been junior has been on the edge of committing, but I'm going to go with Owen Strebig. He's got a lot of competition for him. For I mean, I think if Jerome really thought eh, I need to get this done, he would have he would have pressed that. I think he wants to probably wait till spring, maybe. Um, I'm going to go with Owen Street, big out of that group. 
Yeah, I think anyone from the group of Bettis, Strebig, Jack Lang, Dallas Golden, and Mark Zachary would not be a surprise to me. I think any of them could be first. Uh, I don't think Jerome Bettis Jr. is is ready to make a decision. Um, I do think it'll eventually be Notre Dame, but I think he is taking his time with that. Um, so I, I will go with, why not Mark Zachary? I, I don't know that I have a strong feeling like of or opinion or reasoning of why Zachary would be before Dallas Golden or Jack Lang or something like that. Um, but let's go with the in-state guy. Uh, maybe uh, maybe he takes some time away from his basketball season um, and, and announces a commitment to Notre Dame. And isn't he a pretty big time basketball player? Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's fair. Yeah, he's fairly good. I think like if he really wanted to focus on being a basketball player, he'd he'd get recruited doing that. Although he doesn't necessarily have like the Division One basketball size um, that you'd want necessarily. Not that there aren't exceptions to that, but he's he's not the prototypical like um, Big Ten guard because of. Uh, maybe some size limitations there. Hey, if I'm Micah Shrewsbury, I'm looking for anybody with that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, some non-recruiting questions from Mike DeVoy. If the five best offensive linemen next fall are Emil Wagner, Tosh Baker, Billy Shroud, Rocco Spindler, and Charles Jagusa, how would they line up position-wise? Well, Joe Rudolph has said he is a – proponent of putting your five best on the field and I think I might have gotten either this in chat or a similar question in chat so I would go with if that was the group I would go with Wagner and Baker at tackle I would move Jagaza inside and then you would have to have Shrouth or Spindler as your center and and they've done that before. I mean, Nick Martin and uh, Patterson, um, they were not guys that had ever played center before they were tried at center. I would pick Shrouth over Spindler for the fact that Spindler's one of his, what's held him back is remembering the plays, remembering concepts. And if he's got all that decoding of what the defense is doing, I think Shrouth probably handles that better. So that would be in that scenario, at that hypothetical, that's my best guess. Yeah, I would I would go with Spindler at center over Shrouth based on experience. Um, you'd like to think that Rocco Spindler has a better grasp of everything given his experience playing um, more than Billy Shrouth. Um, and I think that would be important at the center position. I don't know that this is necessarily – um a likely starting five but giving these five i would i would go wagner left tackle um probably put jagasa at left guard um and then spindler at center baker right tackle and billy strouth at right guard at least baker and strouth have played some together so that would be the one sort of continuity that you'd be able to have um with this alignment with which would be a lot of guys that have not spent time playing with each other um, one more question from Scott Fegan. Guys, looking way ahead, thoughts on the schedule, if we can. I didn't see it pop up there in the thing. Oh, yep, that's my fault. I didn't click it. Uh, looking way ahead. I like the rhythm to the schedule. The The one thing it doesn't leave is if you beat Texas A&M and then you get into the soft part of it, and we can assume somebody in the middle is going to be way better than what the magazines all say that they're going to be. So somebody's going to be a surprise in the middle, but it looks soft once you get past Texas A&M and then it gets hard again in November and you have Florida state in November and uh, USC in November on the road. I think it would be hard to lose more than a game and make the 12 team playoff. If you beat Texas A&M at the beginning and I think it's soft enough that if you lost to Texas A&M at the beginning, you would really have to show improvement over the year. And if you lost your last game at USC or lost at home to Florida State and beat USC, it may be a little bit ticklish to get in with two losses. And I think most years, Notre Dame's schedule will lend itself to being a playoff team at 10-2. and two. I don't know that next year we'll do that. Yeah, well, uh, I share many of your thoughts there. What, what if – Say what if Notre Dame lost to AM on the road and I don't know, Louisville 
is is great again or whatever you want however you want to describe Louisville but Louisville's Louisville really was Jekyll and Hyde again yeah Louisville's really good and comes in Notre Dame and beats 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 uh the Irish could Notre Dame rebound with a strong November if it swept those November games to get into the playoff some of it depends on how good AM and Louisville ended up being especially Louisville right. and some of it depends on how good USC and Florida State are if those were undefeated or right or very highly regarded teams when they won and you're saying oh my god you know early in the season Riley Leonard was awful and then they changed the Steve Angeli and they were way I'm not suggesting that's going to happen I'm mm-hmm. just doing that for those people that love Steve Angeli and then Steve <laughs> Angeli led them to all these victories I mean there has to be a reason why they flipped the switch and are a markedly better team but I think under right. that scenario it could work out. And again, you're not doing this in a vacuum. You got to depend on what everybody else is doing. Right. Yeah. How, how do, it's going to be really interesting to see what it looks like with the big 10 and the sec with all those big, bigger schools joining and what the, what sort of damage that does to the records and does like Michigan you, schedule is ridiculous. Yeah, I Michigan's mean, it was ridiculous the other way this year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the complete opposite. And Obviously, ending the regular season with Ohio State. Ohio State is is beefing up. That's um, maybe the best thing to happen to Ryan Day is Michigan winning the national championship because it seems like a lot of people around Ohio State are motivated to get him as much talent as possible. Now it also could New go the offensive other way. coordinator too. It, it, it could go the other way where it, it puts it, it increases the pressure even more if he doesn't come through. Then maybe he's on his last leg there, but. Hey, um, I grew up in Ohio. There's n- no such thing as an Ohio State team without pressure. <laughs> right, exactly. They're too crazy. Um, so it's going to be a big year for the Buckeyes. And uh, I think it's a good year for Notre Dame to not have Ohio State on the schedule. I think uh, even though Notre Dame didn't win its two, it's two games against Ohio State, I think uh, this might be the best, at least going into the season, be prepared to be the best Ohio State Who's, who's the quarterback next year? Will Rogers? Is that who's going to be the quarterback? Will Howard. Will Howard. Will Unless Howard. Julian Sane, you never know. Julian Sane, maybe he comes in, this phenom freshman that was enrolled at Alabama, maybe he, he makes some noise there. Did he um, did he transfer there? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's committed. And to so transfer. Air Noland is there, Julian yep. Sane, and Will Howard? Yep. All on the same team? No wonder the other guy left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Kyle McCord knew some things were happening um, okay. and, and knew he wasn't going to be guaranteed anything. And the, Devin Brown, the guy that was his backup last year, stayed, stayed as well. So um, it's going to be a, an interesting uh, spring there. I would imagine probably someone well, ends up leaving. Um, well, I know Ohio we'll State got the safety from Alabama, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, they did real well. Running back from Ole Miss. Court. Quinshawn yeah. Jenkins, right? Wow, they did really well. Yeah, the number one overall, number one overall player in the twenty twenty four class, according to rivals, Jeremiah Smith, a wide receiver. Um, that That's Ohio what State... they needed is more wide receivers, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> really struggling there. And Egbuka is coming back. I mean, a lot of their um, stars that you would have thought would have gone, Egbuka, I thought would have gone, but yeah, it, it, it's it's very similar to what Michigan did last off season. Where they had a lot of other guys that, and came Notre back. Dame did too. I mean, Notre Dame. Had yeah, Notre guys Dame's stay. done that too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so do we? Um, no more. Are, I got no more questions for us. Okay. Oh, whoa, whoa! Did I kick you out? What happened, Eric? <laughs> well, I think I may have lost Eric. We'll see if he rejoins here. There he is. Did I kick you off, or did you? Did you do something? You know, I wish I could blame it on you, but <laughs> trying to click on something and uh, I clicked on the wrong tab and erased myself. <laughs> it, well, it happened like right when I clicked on something, I was like, wait a minute, I don't think I clicked anything that would kick Eric I, out there. I, I, I was getting ready. To, I was getting ready to wrap up the show without you, but uh, okay. what, are there some topics we want to go before Just you leave us, before you leave us for quick. a second time? <laughs> so, so Logan Saldate from... Uh, California wide receiver played in the Polynesian Bowl on Friday night. He had one catch for 21 yards. He played on the winning team. Um, what kind of reviews did Logan get from the rivals national analysts during the week for practices? Yeah, he was teammates with Dylan Rayola, the uh, five-star number one quarterback in the country that's signed to play at Nebraska. Um, he was described as someone that was 
very uh, well connected to him and uh, a reliable target making catches over the middle, um, showing off some speed. So uh, some promising reviews there for Logan Saldate. And uh, doesn't, I mean, that sort of matches up with my expectations for him. I thought that was sort of the kind of receiver I expected him to be and good that he was able to get out there and show that. We had uh, Notre Dame, former Notre Dame receiver Robbie Toma on the podcast last week. Robbie is an assistant coach at the Punahou School in Honolulu. Um, during, I think, our broadcast of Football Never Sleeps, oh, Kia and uh, committed to Notre Dame, the younger brother of Kahano Kia, who is back on campus and attending classes and going through winter workouts. What maybe is your biggest takeaway from talking to Robbie Toma, who had coached both of those two and, and familiar, very familiar with the family. We talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, those guys seem to fit the mold of what you'd expect from the, the Hawaiian recruits that Notre Dame has been able to, to land hard nosed guys, hard workers, um, guys that can make some plays, um, athleticism. They'll get after it. I think both will have a chance to, uh, make impacts on special teams early in the career. Kahanu already did as a freshman, um, we'll see. I'm very curious to see what Kahanu's development has been um, and how how well he can hit the ground running coming back from his two-year mission. Um, and looking forward to talking to him um, in February. Uh, and, yeah, I think uh, it's a good podcast. Uh, Robbie's a great guest, as, as he has been in the past. Um, so if you missed that, make sure you go check that out. Um, and then uh, for me – just his universal praising of Mike Denbrock coming back to Notre Dame. I mean, it seems like everybody yeah. that we've talked to that path crossed with Mike Denbrock is over the moon happy that Mike Denbrock is back at Notre Dame. The other thing that was a big takeaway, we did get a correct pronunciation of K-O. Um, it's K-O, Okina-O, not apostrophe, Okina, which is kind of a guttural stop. So now we can pronounce it not mispronounce a name that's only three letters long. <laughs> well, and if we do, it's our fault because we know, we know better. Um, all, that's it, We, it's, we like to know it sooner than after they've been in the program a while where we were, were reminded this year that actually Jadarian price isn't Jadarian price. It's Jadarian price, which was news to most everyone that was around and we, we'd call them Jadarian to his face. And, uh, he was kind enough to not <laughs> uh, ret- rep- reprimand us, but we we were, we've been shown the right way um, and happy to learn how to pronounce it as a recruit rather than um, get get here and have to have to learn that later. The other th- the funny thing about that is Robbie Toma. They misspelled his name for two years. Media relations did, and he didn't say boo about it. And then you know they're like boy that's a really unusual spelling he goes it is for me too because that's not how i spell my name how'd they spell it with just one b one b like roby okay. yeah. yeah and didn't they have so, zach zach martin was a, uh an h instead of a k for a little bit too correct for a whole year he didn't say <laughs> boo about it so that was pretty funny um the um so you're last... saying we shouldn't take it as gospel that landau is lando we, we should actually make sure we verify it with him when we get a chance to talk to him we'll, we'll uh sacrifice one of the other media members hey ask him if it's really lando <laughs> um and i know just which media member would be perfect for that <laughs> um but we also real quickly we're going to have a chance in the next couple of weeks starting next week to interview that they changed the schedule we were supposed to start doing some interviews this week it'll be on a couple of Fridays all 15 uh early enrolled freshmen the six of the eight uh transfers that are already here and then Kahano Kia out of that group give me the two guys that you're most eager to speak with uh Number one, Riley Leonard. Uh, why why did he come to Notre Dame? What what improvements does he feel he can make at Notre Dame? How, how how did he take in the change in offensive coordinator since he'd he'd come to Notre Dame? Um, plenty of questions for Riley Leonard. Yeah. Um, next on my list is Kahanu Kia. I just I'm very interested in what he's been up to. How soon he can make an impact again? Um, I know that's not probably the, a big headline name, but it's something that I I'm interested in. Um, if I took those two from your list, do you have two others for me? You did take those two from our <laughs> list. And, 
And I've I've dealt with one of the guys that have taken a Mormon mission. Chris Badger was in mm-hmm. the Andes Mountains, so it was a little bit different. He lost weight. He came back. It was a big adjustment. Then he ended up transferring to BYU. Um, I would say, I don't know. I, KVA is super interesting to me. I, I think I want to talk to Cam Williams, even though Charleston did a bunch of things on him. I'm really kind of curious about what makes him tick. And then of the um, junior or uh, junior college guys of the <laughs> transfers, uh, Chris Mitchell interests me. I mean, sure. that's that's a guy that could possibly be a starter. I want to I want to get a. Sometimes when you talk to people, you really get a feeling of how ready they are for something, and you also get a feeling for when they're tapping the brakes and are a little bit scared. I mean, Tobias Merriweather, last August, I just got a tapping the brake kind of feeling with him. It just didn't feel like he was completely confident about what was going to unfold for him. And now he's at Cal. And yeah, we had, um, we, we have everybody but one scholarship transfer out that has a new school because Robbie Carmody and Ramon Henderson both picked UCLA. Michael, Michael, Michael Carmody. Michael Carmody. I said Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Robbie is at Mercer. <laughs> uh, playing basketball, or he was. Uh, but, yeah, Michael Carmody is at UCLA. Three guys at UCLA. Anybody surprised with you with where they ended up? I mean, Michael Carmody is a little bit surprising. I, I don't know that UCLA would have been my guest. I hadn't been uh, doing much reporting on trying to figure out where he would end up, but that's certainly not anywhere close to home. Um, but if he can get healthy and find a path to playing time, I think that's probably all that matters for him. Um you mentioned Tobias Merriweather. I was a little surprised that Cal's where he ended up. I wondered, like, was that really the best that Tobias Merriweather could do? I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe he's, maybe it's an easier path to being the number one receiver at Cal. Um, Cal has had decent receivers, so it's not. He wanted wanna, to play in the ACC. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know what? This little taste of the ACC I've had at Notre Dame. I want, I want the whole thing. So I'm going to go to Cal. Uh, so I mean, yeah. it would have made more sense if there was still going to be a Pac-12. Right. Yeah, with him being a West Coast kid. Um, so, uh, I'm I'm interested to see how that works out as well. Is there anyone that surprised you? I I would say Carmody a little bit. It's interesting how many of them are teammates. Like there's two TCU guys, three UCLA guys, two Cal guys, Aiden Kalnania. Yeah. And a fourth UCLA guy is KJ Wallace, who was at Georgia tech, who was previously at Notre Dame. So, uh, fourth guy with Notre Dame ties, um, on that UCLA roster. I, I didn't look, I had been meaning to. Like, I wonder, is there someone on staff there? What, maybe even just in, like, the recruiting department that, that has some Notre Dame connections? It's interesting that there's been so many Notre Dame guys that ended up at UCLA all of a sudden. Well, and they have a coach that's kind of on the hot seat, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how the Big Ten does for Coach Kelly, that Coach Kelly. Hmm. All right. I think we've gone into overtime enough, Eric. You want to get us wrapped up here? Yeah. Thanks to Legacy Heating and Air for sponsoring us. Use the code NDYT for a 30-day free trial of InsideNDSports.com. Get all the cool recruiting stuff and some of our deep analyses. And that's it for me. Thanks for all the questions, too. Yeah, and if you got more questions, you can hit up Eric's live chat tomorrow, Tuesday, on InsideNDSports.com, starting at noon Eastern. You can submit questions ahead of time if you head to the site. Uh, We will do a podcast on Thursday. We're trying to sort of stick to Monday, Thursday, Football Never Sleeps, and Incident any sports podcast schedule. Um, and we're, we're planning to do that this week. And uh, so we'll hear from us then. Uh, like we said before, like, subscribe, do all the, do all the things you're supposed to do on YouTube. We really appreciate the support and we will see you next week.